0: To's to Zenergy, the interactive podcast providing resources for building a better life. I am Shea. I'm a coach, conduit, and catalyst who launches humanity into greatness by accelerating mindset changes and replacing limitations with possibilities so today originally i was going to be talking to my best friend but uh he had um some car trouble so i'm gonna get him on the podcast because we need to chop it up but um i'm gonna be podding with my my cameraman again today um, so tell the people your name
1: um hello everybody my name is john ross dyke the first
0: yeah and we're still gonna go with the same topic because My best friend and I can talk about anything, especially since I want him to give a male perspective on this book. So we're going to go with the same topic that I was going to go with, which is expectations, expectancy, and entitlement. Now, I believe very strongly in the law of attraction. I believe very strongly in the power of the mind. So I believe that you have to have an attitude of expectancy. You have to... Believe that what you're doing is going to show results. You have to have faith. Some people would call it. You have to have that belief. But there is a difference between expectancy and expectations and entitlement. You know. Um, I think that going from just having a general belief that things are going to work out, that what you're doing is going to show, um, you know, results. It has to be this way, which could be an expectation, or I'm entitled to have it this way. Those are three different things to me. And I think that we get into a lot of problems when we confuse them. And so I wanted to kind of talk about that. And and I kind of wanted to start off with the power of expectancy, because I think that that's a powerful thing. It could also be a very negative thing and then kind of transition into Um, the other two. So I just was on YouTube and they were talking about the placebo effect, which anybody who's been in biology should know that um, a doctor could sometimes give a patient a sugar pill or a saline, which really has no effect on the body. And that person could think that it's a cure and they can miraculously show improvement in a disease you know so there was a, a a case where this guy had the expectancy that oh this this experimental treatment that i'm getting is going to cure my cancer incurable cancer and he got the shot two days later he's released from the hospital there's no signs of cancer it's it's you know gone from his body and then he hears you know this this internet story about doctors using the placebo effect and then he's like well maybe that's what happened to me and his cancer comes right back because he lost that faith. And then there was another um, thing that they did. They did this experiment with teenagers in uh, 1998. And they had 13 kids and they were like, okay, these are highly allergic kids to poison ivy. And they said, well, we want to see, will the placebo effect work on them? We already know they're highly allergic. So... They blindfolded the kids and they had them hold their arms out. And on the left arm, they told them that they were gonna put um, poison ivy. So they're spreading what was aloe vera or something like that on the left arm, told the kids it was poison ivy. And on the right arm, they actually put poison ivy. So it should have been the right arm that got all blistered up and itchy and everything. But, in like eleven out of the thirteen kids, it was the left arm because their mind actually transferred the symptoms to the other arm. So, what do you think about expectancy? like what we expect can tend to happen, even when it shouldn't happen, like even when it's a placebo effect right what what, what do you think about that?
1: I think you know, let's take, for instance, the podcast. Mm-hmm. first of all, again. Thank you so much for inviting me back. I always got to give credit and credence to the invitation that I'm extended. Um, I think that it being in the mind, you start off like prime example. You said that my best friend was supposed to come on. So the expectation was that he would be on the podcast. But in that expectation, the goal of today's episode didn't change. So you quickly made an adaptation to what was going to go on. Right. And I think a lot of times the word expectation, you have a goal in mind, but then your goals are what you expect to happen. So the goal today was to get, to have your best friend on the podcast. It didn't happen. So you expected him to be on the podcast, but what happened was you still ended up podcasting with a different person, just the same topic. I think that expectations start in to mind. If you can't think at first, Then it never comes to fruition. Once you think it, then everything that you do alters around that your lifestyle changes towards what you expect to do. What It starts out as a hobby and then all of a sudden it becomes everything. Your expectations kind of consume you. So now I have the idea of putting out a podcast. It's my expectation to put out a podcast and in venturing to do that, I realized that my expectation has become my everyday lifestyle. Like I can't cope. I can't do without it. And people adapt your expectations as well. And, uh, you know, I asked you, you want to go live and you were like, yes, because that is an expectation of your audience that when you podcast on Sundays, they got to see you in your natural state. They got to see you before they wait for the episode to come out. That's just how they have consumed what you do. And so I think that it starts off in the mind and then it matriculates to becoming everything that you that you can't live without.
0: I agree with that. I, you know, I love a lot of what you were saying, because. That expectancy, that that desire, that vision that you have of the future builds excitement, anticipation. You know, we both have been in sports and there's a thing called a pep rally. Mm-hmm. Now, why do you even have a pep rally? You have a pep rally to build school spirit. Mm-hmm. You have a pep rally to psych the players up to win Because what are you building? You're building expectancy. You're building an expectation of a great game. Now, whether the expectation is we're going to beat them by, we're going to skunk them 45 to zero, (laughs) or we're going to just win, you know, it doesn't matter because you're building the expectancy. And and sometimes the more hyped you get (laughs) the players, sometimes the better they perform because they have that energy as momentum behind them. And I think one thing about expectations that I've learned going with expectancy, I think expectancy is great. Have that positive expectancy. Don't have the negative expectancy because a lot of us have that negative expectancy. You know, I've heard people say bad things come in threes and they're saying it when only one bad thing has happened. So that means Mm -hmm. they're starting to expect two more bad things to happen. Mm -hmm. Why would you do that to yourself? Mm -hmm. Why would you psych yourself up to just be waiting for the two bad things that are coming. You know, it's like, why, why would, why would you even do that? Or man, every time such and such time of year comes around, I get, and they put in an illness there. Why? Would you build that expectancy? It may have happened in the past, but this is a brand new year. This could be the year that you boost your immune system. This could be the year that your diet's better. This could be the year that you decide to take you know, uh, a flu shot or you decide to do some detox. Something different could happen to break that cycle. So I think that with expectancy, we have to realize the power of the mind can work against us. Uh, A lot of people use affirmations to try to undo that negative programming use subliminals to try to undo it try to read books to change your mindset or do journaling i you know i push journaling a lot as a way to change your mindset you know so i think that negative expectancy can be harmful and i think also expectations can be positive Mm -hmm. or negative because you know i went through a time in my life where i was a little depressed Because I looked at my life and it didn't fit the picture that I had in my mind of where I would be at a certain point in time. And I remember I was reading a book uh, by Joe Dispenza. It was called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Mm. And he said that the midlife crisis only happened to some people, didn't happen to everybody. Um, So it was a myth that everybody was going to go through it. And the midlife crisis was really when people looked at all the training and all the uh, traditional beliefs that they had been given of what their life was supposed to be, how it was supposed to go. And they looked at, okay, everything that I was taught says I should have accomplished all of this by now. And now I'm midlife, I'm middle aged. And I'm looking at my life and I'm not as fulfilled as I expected to be. I'm not as happy as I expected to be. I'm not as whatever as I expected to be. So it's all about expectations. And so therefore, I'm a failure. Therefore, my life doesn't have meaning. Therefore, I have to radically change. Maybe, and some men go out and buy a Ferrari and some women go out and have plastic surgery or they do these drastic things. But he was saying, really, some of those things don't even help because the real problem is the disconnect between where you expect it to be and where you are so how do you deal with that feeling cuz a car may not solve it plastic surgery may not solve it and his advice was to deal with the feeling by actually examining the beliefs you know is what you were told to get or do or become is that really what it would take to make you happy anyway you know and when i did that I was like, okay, I thought I would be here. I thought my kids would have graduated from college and done this, 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 and this. Well, my my first one got an associates. Okay, that's good. Neither one of them graduated from four-year college. Okay. You know, I had grandkids earlier than I expected, but that's okay. You know, and I started thinking about, okay, this isn't the picture that I expected, but it's a pretty doggone good picture. And I've accomplished a lot of things that I would have never even thought of. So what am I what am I tripping about in a sense? You know, uh, one of the things that was on my expectations list by 50 was I was going to be remarried Mm. and it was like, so on my 50th birthday, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm not even, you know, I'm not even going out on a romantic dinner on my 50th birthday, you know? So that was one of the times when I was like a little depressed about being single just for like a day because I had this idea that 50 was like, I should be settled. And at 50, I'm like, just starting a whole new career and just, I'm doing so many different things, you know? But then I was excited. Like that once I got over that day of like, I'm not married, you know? It was like, but man, look at everything I've done. Look Mm -hmm. at everything I'm about to do. So I think that, expectations can be a hurdle when you hold on to them too long for the wrong reasons and you're not flexible whereas if i had had the expectancy of man my life is just going to unfold it's going to be a journey and i'm going to experience a lot of amazing things probably some unexpected things right. i would not have had that i'll be married by 50 or something's wrong, you know, idea in my head, I would have just been open and flowing and kind of surrendered to the process. You know, if I get married at 50, okay. If I don't, well, that's okay too. I guess there's some other things in the store for me, you know? So what are you thinking about that? Like how expectations can be in a sense, limiting of a person's happiness,
1: you know? I think Expectations are as vital as eating, mm-hmm. drinking water. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say that is because even in your day to day activity, you expect it so at some point in the day, you're going to eat. At some point in the day, you're going to have some kind of water. And I think that when you, when, when you have those expectations in the back of your mind, you find out that it's not the expectation is not hard. It's how do you do it? So for example, I know a lot of, you know, we, we're both in education and I know a lot of kids that expect that because they play, let's say varsity, that they're going to be able to play on the next level. Right. And, and that expectation, they don't understand that within that expectation, everything on the next level increases, whether it's, whether it's your, your, um, functionality, your talent, um, your, the way you think about the game, it all changes on the next level. So um I think that they put a limit on their expectation because they don't understand that. Yeah. I expect to be at this point at 1920, but the work that goes behind it is something that's always forgotten. Like they see, you know, and, and we see it all the time. I know I do as a coach, see kids and you tell them hey we're gonna have this ball game you want to eat right you want to get enough rest and they get into the game and you'll see that their morale will drop because they're not the shots they expect to hit they're not hitting but they don't understand hey you know what I see Steph Curry do it all the time how is he successful at it and I can't be successful at it well they don't see that well he's put in the work He talks about putting in the work he talks about in all his interviews is always, you know, I'm nothing without my faith in God. I'm nothing without my teammates. I'm nothing without the hard work that I put in and the the process of meeting your expectation in terms of like the work that goes to getting you there is suddenly forgotten by a lot of people. And so it's just so expectation, you know, just thinking about the word we have. Everybody has. A midrid of expectations. Like tomorrow, I expect that I'm going to get to work at 730. Now, in the reality of things, I don't know, cause it depends on how my daughter is in the morning. If she's fidgety and doing all of this, she might disturb my sleep and I might sleep a little longer expecting that she would have stayed sleep for a lot, a lot, a lot longer. So the word expectation, it can get deep. I think that, you know, the journey towards it is the limiting part because when you think about what you have to do to get to that point, a lot of people are not willing to make that sacrifice.
0: I agree with that. And, and um, I think that people have to adjust their expectations sometimes Mm -hmm. because uh, I've taught AP for at least eight years now. And one of the very first things that I would tell kids when they would come into an AP class because generally you're getting kids that have been in honors. Some of them um, school has been really easy for them. They have never had to study. Um, and that's a lot of kids nowadays, mm-hmm. whether they're high, low or middle students, you know, in performance don't have any study skills. Um, so they come into this AP class and they're thinking, okay, this is another English class, man. I had an a in English last year. I'm gonna have an a this year and I ain't even gonna have to really work hard or whatever. And, and then I tell them that first day, this class is not a regular 11th grade English class. We will do some of the regular English assignments, but at least 80 to 90% of what you do is coming straight from College Board. College Board is Mm. the is the group that makes the SAT, makes the PSAT. They make those tests that you have to take to get into college. And at the end of this year, you're going to take a test by them. And that test is going to determine whether you get college credit for this class. So I pull out this poster and I say, this is unit one. Unit one is introduction to rhetoric. Do any of you know what rhetoric means? They're looking at me like introduction to what? You know? And so I said, so just from that phrase, introduction to rhetoric, you understand that this is a new concept that you don't know. And there's going to be a lot of vocabulary. I said, I'm going to give you a little packet and... You may not have even heard the tor- term rhetorical device or rhetorical strategy or rhetorical term, but there's about 276 rhetorical devices. We won't get to all of them. We will get to a lot of them. There's about 200 and something tone words. There's more tone words than that in the English language, but in this packet, there's gonna be about 200 or so. I said, so there's gonna be, this class is gonna be vocabulary heavy. You're gonna probably read more than you've ever read in your life. You're probably gonna write more than you've ever written in your life. And when you write... For the first time in your life, you will probably be graded on grammar first mm-hmm. because in college, if it's not grammatical, it's an F. Mm-hmm. They will not grade things that they cannot understand full of fragments and run-ons and, you know, sentences that don't begin with capital letters and end with periods mm-hmm. or some end mark. So these are things that you're going to have to adjust your expectations for. You may have expected this class to be easy, you may have expected to not study, you may have expected, you know, to coast. And some of you may have done that your whole high school career. I would say the likelihood of any of you being able to do that is next to zero. And I say that because if I don't say that, What's going to happen is they're going to be doubting themselves. I must not be smart. I must be stupid. They are not going to understand. It's not you. This is the most difficult curriculum you've come up against. Right. So you have to adjust your expectations of your performance to realize there is a learning curve. You don't come in at an A. You come in at a D and you work your way up to the A. You know, be happy when you get that C. That's good for right now. You know, and some of them have never gotten to see in their lives. Mm -hmm. So that's I have to. And some of the parents, I have to explain to them, your daughter, your son, they're going to have to adjust because they just went from 10th grade high school classes to college level classes. And all they had was a few months of summer and maybe some summer reading. So, you know we have to adjust our expectations. We have to, and even I've been in meetings, you know, where we're networking and things like that and, and people going into business. You know, you're going into business, you think that your product is amazing. You think that when everybody hears about it, they're just gonna go snatch it up and it's gonna be a best-selling thing. And sometimes that happens and sometimes it takes time to build that momentum. You know, I heard somebody talk about if you had a pump and you're pumping the water on that water pump, Just because nothing's coming out at first doesn't mean there's not any water. You got to build some momentum. And then as soon as you get that momentum going, eventually that water is going to gush out and you're going to be able to slow up. You don't have to pump as hard. You don't have to pump as fast. You might be able to take five seconds between a pump or 10 seconds between a pump or when it starts to trickle, then you pump. You know what I mean? But up until you get the water coming out, it's got to be consistent, consistent, consistent. And so, you know, I've I've been in a networking meetings where a person is starting a business. They've been in business a couple of months, six months, and they're like, you know, I thought I was gonna have these sales, and I'm struggling. And it could be that they're doing some things wrong. It could be just that they haven't built up momentum. And and speaking of expectations, all over Facebook, I see this. It's such a horrible thing when your family and your friends don't support you. Mm. You know, I got this business and if I was working for somebody else, they'd be all, yay, you got a job. Da-da-da-da-da, let's throw a party. But I start my business and they don't even want to come out and support me. And I understand the sentiment. I do. I do understand it. We all want support from our family and friends. It, it's great when our family and friends support us. Uh, It's wonderful. Maybe it is what they should do. But when I started my show... I didn't necessarily expect from my family and friends to support me because just because I have a product doesn't mean they have to buy it. Right. Just because I have an event doesn't mean they have to come. You know, so I think that there is um, the next thing on the list was to talk about entitlement. You know, when you get angry because people don't do exactly what you thought they were going to do, you know, that could be a problem because. Who said they had to, you know, who said they had twenty five dollars to drop on your ticket, you know, just because they have it to put in their gas tank doesn't mean they got it to put on your ticket, <laughs> you know, because they got to buy the gas. They don't have to buy your ticket. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes I've uh, I've even seen people post, if you're not coming to this event, then just unfollow me. What if I got something booked that day? What if I got to work, you know, well, we I can't be a Facebook friend because I don't come to this event? I mean, really? Come on now. Really, that's the standard we got right now? And, and I mean, I understand we all want support and there's nothing wrong with wanting support. It's just sometimes it's a little, it comes off as very entitled, like you feel it's your right to demand a person's behavior to be a certain way. And as long as that person has autonomy, it's a privilege for them to come. So to me, entitlement is when you take a privilege as a right. Right. And your expectation becomes what you feel is a right for you to get from somebody else, you know, and you just discount the fact that they have any choice in the matter at all. Cause their choice doesn't matter because you want them to do whatever you want them to do. So, you know, what was going through your mind about what I was saying about, Students in expectation or people with, you know, businesses in expectation or entitlement.
1: Uh, it's funny that you mentioned college board because I the first week of our in service for the new school year, I spent the latter four days of last week at a college board seminar. And their expectation was that we have got to get kids to start writing more, even in math. And so, you know, my expectation going in every year, it's funny because I really think that expectation and entitlement, it, they're so close in in their, your initial thought process of, of them that they almost can, they almost can like, one can stand for the other. And I, I remember saying um, in an episode on my podcast I did last year, it was year seven and it was all about. Um, the expectation of what year seven would be. And this is without thinking that at this point in your career, you're expecting more in a different lane that you have no traction in. Right. And it, it was all about just expecting that at this point in education, I would be either out of there. Or I w- I don't know what I'm expecting, but I I didn't expect it to be right here. So I surmised the episode with year two just the conclusion of it and I mentioned that how how the kids did great, that softball was tumultuous. and And going into this college board thing, I'm reminded of the fact that no matter where you start off in the year or the students that they give you, their expectation, even if you think it's not conceivable, Doesn't change. Kids are expected to come. They're expected to pass this test and they're expecting you to get in your box somewhere and figure it out. Like we're giving you these kids, we're paying you whatever we're paying you. You have to figure out how to make these kids read, write, calculate. And even if they don't know how to do it, they have to figure you have to motivate them to do it. So the college board experience to me, I I remember saying to my Proctor, I was like, you know what? Honestly, I'm just so used to getting kids that you know they don't know how to you know do math, basic math, one and one, one times one, or two and two, two times two. So they sit these kids and give me these kids that one have a language barrier, and two haven't had any fun, kind of formal schooling in a long time because how they do things in these countries are different. And I said, I'm I'm just kind of confused because everybody has these great ideas and everybody's talking like they have the best of kids. And and we were at Carnegie High School and and in the classroom I was in, I don't think it was more than 16 desks. So I saw kids there in the summertime and I asked the lady downstairs. I was like, yo, what are these kids doing up here? Because my expectation coming from where I'm from is I don't see kids getting laptops and 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 excited about school even if you can call it that from where i'm at until the first day so by that first day i'm looking at these kids that are at carnegie and they've already started they're already like they're well into it the first week they're already they already know what's going on if that so she's like oh we have a math camp i'm like hmm i'm like wow so the college board I'm, i'm talking to the lady and i'm just like I, I really I'm really confused at what you want from us what is what is your expectation of me now what do you want for me to because I was just told to come here and I'm here and I'm paying attention but it just seems like y'all have like these fairy tale situations I'm not in that you know if I'm not speaking Spanish in class I don't know if some kids are getting it so she's just like we want you to use these shared principles that are really common between all content areas. Everybody is expected to read. Everybody's expected to communicate. Everybody's expected to talk and, and, and and make kids just have that academic vocabulary, that academic conversation to let them let you know that they are engaged and that this is the way you kind of got to direct them. The college board thing just was like, I just thought, wow. I mean, I was just dealing with college board. Like, Friday, thinking about now that I've done this training, what does the school expect me to do? What do I expect of my kids? You know, I talk a lot about identity when I coach and just the identity of my honors classes, because your expectation and honors is that you don't get to say, I don't get it. You don't get to say, I'm not passing today. You got to pass. So. You know, coming back to my team, it wasn't necessarily about the honest kids because they're going to do what they, they're they going to do. For me, it was those kids that teeter along the the tweeners. Yeah, my parents are from here, but I can connect with the kids that are from there because we speak the same language. How do we get, my expectation is how do you get those kids to write? How do you get those kids to have the academic conversation even if it is that you have to kind of like force them to speak? And so um, I got I, I, I walk away with it saying that, you know, I feel I feel entitled to the fact that, you know, I need some grace. But, you know, not, not I might not might not be afforded grace because it's to the point now where we're having meetings before school starts. I tell you I my guy, I'm like, man, we're having meetings before school starts. And it's because our numbers are so low. So that expectation, it just it seeps through everything when you start talking about college, what I was like, man, oh, they're expecting you to come back and, and and really kind of even make the, the pre AP kids aspire higher. And so I was like, oh, wow.
0: It's yeah. It's a very interesting thing in education. Cause I remember when like there was one year that we really struggled. This was pre COVID and, uh, I was teaching a lot of ESL classes. I was teaching a lot of repeater classes where the kids hadn't passed, Mm. you know, the the semester before. So they were doing a new semester with me of the same stuff. I was reteaching and having to redo a lot of the curriculum um, with new stuff because, of course, they had seen the old stuff. So it was a lot of trial and error trying to how can I get these kids to come to school, to be motivated, to all that, you know, so you have these expectations. And I remember that particular year, I always had amazing numbers, always had great numbers. And then that particular year, I did not, which I should have expected. I should have expected my demographics to change, but I didn't expect that i expected i'm going to give my 100 and 110 150 and the kids are going to rise to this expectation and they're going to perform and i got my numbers back and i cried
1: mm.
0: <laughs> i had never ever cried before i mean i literally would always have 90s 100 percent passages literally on 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 these state assessments. And I don't remember what the number was that year, but it was not what I was expecting. And I went through a whole, you talk about identity. I went through a whole identity crisis because as a teacher, sometimes that was the year when I decided I needed to reevaluate. I needed to reevaluate how I graded myself. Because those scores at the end of the year, I had taken up to that point as my grade. I wasn't really caring about administrators came in and say, oh, you're, you know, what is it exceeds and mastery and all this stuff. And we're going to give you this designation as a highly effective teacher. I was not. Yay. Thank you so much. That's not what I was worried about. It was like at the end of the year, what are the test scores? End of the year, I want to be the top teacher. I want to be the top one. I'm always going to be the top one. I'm either one, two or three. I'm going to be one, two or three. Okay. You know, that wasn't the year I was one, two or three. (laughs) I don't know what number I was, but, and then at that time I had to say, okay, I cannot grade myself on something that is absolutely out of my control. That was the year when I had to say what they make on that test is out of my control. What I teach them is in my control to some degree because I have to follow the curriculum, I have to follow the I have to follow, use the textbook, but I can put as much into it as I, you know, as I'm trying to put into it. But what they make, that's on them. They could come to school, put their head down to sleep on that day. They could not go to bed the night before, not have breakfast. They could be in a bad mood. There's so many things. They could be a poor test taker. And it doesn't matter how much I've trained them, taught them, helped them, tutored them. They could still be a bad test taker. So I had to adjust my expectations and say, okay, what can I look at to grade myself, to feel that I'm effective that I've done my best, that's actually in my control. You know what I mean? Because I can't control their performance on this test. I can't even control whether the test was well-written, whether the questions were good or bad. I can't control any of that. You know, so I had to change my expectations because I was like, I will never again be crying over some test. I said, I'm not going to do that to myself. I worked too hard to be crying over a test. You know, and I was like, "Mm mm-mm. Now I'm not going to be one of those teachers. That's that's I'm not going to do that. So that was one of the years when I kind of had to reframe my thought process and and adjust my expectations, you know. And and then also there was, as the years have passed, and the kids have gotten different. You know, the attention spans are different. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been this is my 28th year in education, so mm-hmm. I guarantee you. The kids that I teach now are nothing like the kids that I taught my first year. Nothing Mm. at all. Very different. Um, Last year, you know, I told you, I was like, I think it's time for me to go because all the tricks in my bag, (laughs) (laughs) they got rusty. They ain't working like they used to. I got to come up with a whole new bag because these kids, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like... So uh, expectations, you know, adjusting my expectations and constantly adjusting, constantly trying to learn new things, constantly trying to grow, trying to to, to be more effective, you know, um, to show, to build the relationships, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, but um, it, 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 you got to separate to me, you have to separate your worth and your success from things that you can't control you know, and things that, that have so many factors that are out of your control, you know, and, and even as a parent, you know, I think a lot of parents go through that, you know, their kid makes a mistake. Well, what did I do wrong? I expected them to do this and they did this. What did I do wrong? And I think you have to, again, adjust those expectations. Like I taught them right from wrong. I instill character traits in them. I get, I was a good role model. I was the best role model that I could be. I was not perfect. No parent is perfect, but I did my best. I loved them. I showed them love. I showed them, you know? So then you have to say, okay, this is an adult. And my expectation has to be that I'm gonna love them the best as I can as a parent of an adult and realize that their choices are their choices. Mm -hmm. And I can't get all, what did I do wrong every time they make a mistake? Because it's not on me anymore. It's their life, their choices. If they come and ask me for advice, I will give them the best advice I can. But besides that, I need to stay in my lane and just love them, pray for them, be here for them, but I cannot live their life for them. I can't. And then, of course, we don't even always know. As parents, we haven't been through some of the things that they're dealing with. You know what I mean? And and to even think that we know, you know, I saw this TikTok video where uh, this woman was saying that people my age, you know, Generation X, Boomers, you know, above my age, she was like, "You guys need to stop with your judgment." Of millennials you want to talk about how they're so entitled and they expect so much and she was like when you came out of college or high school you could work a 40-hour job and you could pay your expenses most of them can't do that your rent was 700 800 mm. a month their rent can be fifteen hundred double what yours was. When you had your kids, you had a village to raise your kids. You had the woman down the street that was watching them when they were outside playing, you know, the next door neighbor who told her you know who, who had them come in and get some snacks on the way home from school. you know now you you are upset if they want you to that they want you to watch the kids, but they don't have any help. Everybody. When we were growing up, had help. Now, I didn't have as much help as some people did. But but she was like, you judge them when you don't even realize that they don't have the support system you had. They don't have the world for them is a harsher place. Mm. And, and it costs more. Everything costs more for them. You know what I mean? And there was a lot of truth to that. So there was a lot of, we, you know, she was saying that we older people were calling them entitled, but we kind of had a sense of entitlement because we were assuming we were looking at things from our perspective, not realizing that it didn't apply to the world they lived in. You know, when I'm looking at my bills, my bills are different than my son's bills. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's difficult for him or, you know, difficult for many millennials because of the cost of living, you know what I'm saying? So so it was a very, uh, to me it was a very powerful video. And and then I'm gonna go to this topic and I'm gonna, I, I, I'm gonna ask you what you think about some of these things. I posted a video and of course <laughs> some of the people on my page are always <laughs> claiming I have something against men. I have some problem with men. I don't, I don't, I don't. But the video happened to be one guy with glasses. And if I describe this video, some of you will know what I'm talking about. One guy with glasses and he he asked the question, why don't women cook and clean anymore? Okay, which of course is a stereotype. Right. Women do cook and clean. They just don't always do it all the time. For men that they're not married to, or even in a marriage, they don't take on the role of a housewife. Okay. And then the man who was responding to him said, because they're tired. And he was the guy with the glasses was like, what are they tired of? He was like, they go to work 8, 10, 12 hours a day. So when they get home, they're tired. Aren't you tired when you get home? And the guy was like, they're tired like he can't even empathize with that like he doesn't even see the women as having the ability to be tired like we're robots or something like we just have an energizer battery in our back and we can push through the tiredness which again There is this idea that many, some, I won't say many, some men have, well, my mama worked two and three jobs and every day I came home, there was a hot meal and our house was clean and I never had to lift a finger. So you mean to tell me you think that that was what she wanted and that's what you want to put on somebody else and you want to not have to lift a finger when you could have helped? you should feel bad for that. You shouldn't be patting yourself on the back for that and looking for a woman like that. That's a sign of entitlement. Mm -hmm. And that's a sign that you're looking for your mama in the woman that you're in a relationship with. And you want her to mama you, Mm -hmm. but anyway, to go on with the video, the man said, uh, well, what roles do you guys have? What roles do you have? And he said, roles? What do you mean roles? You know, if something needs to get done and I'm too tired to do it, she does it. If, if you know, she's too tired to do it, I do it. We divide what needs to be done in the family. We're a team. And he was like, well, if somebody needs to build something, who's going to do it? And the guy was like, what do you mean build something? Yeah, well, if something needs to be built. He was like, well, my wife builds the kids' toys. You know, that's not building. That's not built." And he was like, my wife is an interior designer. She can build anything she wants in the house. She knows how to put anything together in the house. So what is your point? Mm. And he was like, man, you're foolish. You're out of here. And he kicked him off the the video. (laughs) He was upset. So this man with the glasses felt that men in relationships were entitled to have women cook and clean for them, regardless of how tired that woman might be. And that There should be defined roles that never shifted that the man had this role and the woman had this role and there was no negotiating about it. And the idea that there could be partnership and teamwork was foolishness. That was his expectation. Mm. The expectation of the other man was we got five kids. We got a house to run. Whatever makes that house run between the two of us is what it takes to make that house run. Right. And I don't have to be you know the one who builds everything to be the man. I know I'm a man without that. I don't have to be the one who goes out and gets the paycheck and she's the one who cooks and cleans to know I'm the man. I know who I am. She knows who she is. Our identities are not wrapped up in expected roles. They're they are set Without that stuff, we're secure in who we are. We don't need to have roles to tell us who we are, you know? So what do you think about some of the things that I'm mentioning?
1: Um, To start out with education, I think that, you know, going back to uh, speaking about my year seven, I spoke about entitlement and I kind of deflected it. And the reason why I say I kind of deflected it is because I was entitled to, you know, and, and, you know, last week we were talking about, you know, it being good that people are watching you, even if they have, you know, bad things to say about you, at least they're watching. But that was in lieu of the fact that something I had said on my platform was, was, was filmed. And, and I I think that it's never, it never really matters the whole thing because if it mattered about the whole thing, then they would just record the whole thing. It only matters about what you said in that moment. And in that moment, I said, I spoke about entitlement, but neglected to point the finger at myself too. I am entitled in the fact that I feel that because I started at the bottom of the program, that what I say goes. And sometimes when you're dealing with this new generation of kids, They expect you to know, like if you if you say you got to do this, you you have to know what you're talking about. Otherwise, they will give you questions and you're just like and you're caught off guard. I know a lot of times the worst thing that's ever happened to me as an educator is being in the moment where they expected me to know something or to be able to solve it. And when I'm talking about the problem, I get it wrong on the board. And then all of a sudden the whole class is attentive. It's like. We saw you got it wrong. Aha. So you don't know what you're talking about. And that this cold sweat that goes down my back was something that, you know, makes me not want to ever get things wrong. But, but I have been entitled to like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, just entitled to the fact that, you know, I'm the coach and what I say goes and, and, uh, it's not always like that. You know, now you have to you have to have a plan for the plan for the plan. that doesn't work. And kids can tell when you're definitely not organized. And and so, you know, just growing as an educator and as a coach, I've seen that a lot of kids have, you know, I told my nieces and nephews to challenge your teachers. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean, listen, if they ask you questions in class and it's content based, well, then don't be ashamed or afraid. To, well, don't be afraid to say why. Well, why does that make sense or why this? And so when I'm hit with that question, you know, I'm 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 of the belief like, well, you can't ask me that. I'm the coach and I've been here and you know what I've done and I've started from the bottom and and that's how I've come off to people that would listen to me vent, man. They don't know that, you know, I used to drive school buses and all of that. And so to piggyback on 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 the, the whole household thing, you know, I I think that the expectation Coming from where society has come from is that, you know, well, I know that my mom used to cook, clean, make sure everybody did their homework, come and get us from school. And I'm talking about my mom cooked five days a week and worked a full time job and drove across town, you know, from the southwest to the north side to grab us from school and bring us back and got us up in the morning time. So. I saw that change come in society where now women are working and some of the women are paying the bills. Some of the women are making more money than men. Like, you know, I listen to a lot of secular things and, you know, the the notion that, man, women got these extravagant watches. They are where they are. They have leveled up. You got to kind of come correct. So, uh, you know, for me, uh it's not an expectation that my wife cooks like that. But you know, I tell her, no, you know, you throw down when you do. But you know, she worked her job; she worked twelve hours, three times, four times a week, you know, and and at night. And so, you know, you just—I think that in the expectations, just like society, you just adapt and you avi- you, you you survive. Like for me, uh, I f- figured out what kind of works for me when my wife works, and now that we have a kid together, you know, it's just. Where she like just a, a quick story. I messed up, and I we had to rush my daughter to the ER because I I changed the pattern in which I handle her. Brought her in in a seat, and I didn't secure the seat. I un, un I unbuckled her, and then went to wash my hands so I know that I was clean dealing with her. And she fell over and hit the ground. So you know we rushed to the hospital, and and you know. Um, I just think that The expectation That women do all the things In the household Has to change Even myself I You know I just have I just have learned to adapt Like you say I forgot where I was going with that That point
0: No but that was great Learning to adapt And change your expectations I think is the key Because you know, I heard somebody say the only constant in life is change.
1: Mm-hmm. And that too.
0: if you start off with an expectation at 20 and your expectations are the same at 50, then Muhammad Ali said a man who was the same at 50 as he was at 20 hasn't grown, hasn't mm-hmm. learned anything. So the people that are in these Facebook groups sometimes who are upset with me because they keep talking about tradition, you know, kind of reminds me of Fiddler on the Roof. Tradition, you know, <laughs> tradition. <laughs> Tradition, you know, <laughs> tradition, you know, Um, and, and that is one that is actually my favorite musical because the father in that musical is very traditional man. His the tradition is I think he has five daughters or seven daughters, something like that. Huge number of daughters. The tradition is they're going to have arranged marriages mm-hmm. and none of them end up with arranged marriages. The tradition is that they're going to marry Jewish men one of them ends up marrying a Gentile. And the reason he is able to adapt is because his expectations change from, I am entitled as the father to be this, you know, lawgiver to put down this law that our tradition says, matchmakers, matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match, you know, songs, beautiful songs. Okay, I'm entitled to this to I, as the father, want my daughters to be happy and I want them to be taken care of by men who value them Mm. and respect them. Mm -hmm. And this man who is a Gentile values her and respects her. This other man who is a rebel and doesn't even have a good job. He's, you know, going from place to place trying to, Basically stir up people against the Nazis. Um, he's still going to be protective of my daughter, even though he doesn't have a home that's stable right now. He's traveling, she's going to travel with him. you know um, these two who grown up together, who I've seen, uh, this, this boy is almost like a, a, my son. I never thought that he would be, you know, my daughter's husband. He's just a lowly tailor. And the 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 butcher wants to marry my daughter. The butcher, I mean, she's never going to go hungry with the butcher. But Taylor, you know, I mean, people sometimes can make their own clothes. They can they can you know deal with hand me downs. They don't have to go to a tailor. But she loves him. They've grown up together. They know each other. He respects her. He's going to take care of her. So he's able to give up his entitlement mm-hmm. as the father tradition because he loves his daughters. And I think that that's where people need to be. If your entitlement is getting in the way of loving the people in your life, is getting in the way of having a good life, um, then you need to let those entitlements go. And you need to change your expectations and realize that just because you change your expectations, he didn't fail as a father because his daughters didn't marry Jews He didn't fail as a father because they didn't get attached by a matchmaker. He was a great father because he was able to adapt and change and grow. Good, you know, for goodness sake, can we grow? You know, I remember um, I think it was Emerson who said, people are so afraid of not being consistent. You know, he could have said, I have to be consistent. I was raised this way. It's tradition to think this way. I will be inconsistent if I change. He didn't think like that. He said, there is a reason for me to change. And the reason is my daughter's happiness. Mm-hmm. The reason is that these are good men that are going to take care of my daughters, you know, and I don't normally use the term good men, but I'm going to use it today, you know, um, so when you're talking about adapting and, and, um, you end up in a different situation. You have a, a new daughter. You gotta adapt. Things have changed, the roles have changed. You know what I'm saying? The, mm-hmm. the expectations have changed. The the dynamics of the family shift. You know, as your kids, like I was talking about, as your kids grow, your expectations sometimes have to change. You know, you have to, you have to change as a parent. And I think that this podcast is all about, you know small changes, big results, right? It's about self-development. If you can't change your expectations, if you can't give up your sense of entitlement, then it's kind of difficult to grow because if all you were going to do is follow patterns and stick to what's not working, I think it was Einstein that said, insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So in this whole, I, I talk frequently about how we're in this unprecedented time. There's so many changes. COVID happened, quarantine happened. We got the big resignation that happened. We got schools that closed down and came back. The the kids came back different. Okay, they came back different. It's scientifically proven that if you do something for enough times, you know, like them sitting in front of that computer for nine months, sometimes 18 months, their brains are wired differently now. Okay, okay. Their attention span is different than it was 18 months ago. So our expectations of how we teach them, things got to shift a little bit. We got to do more SEL, social, emotional learning. We got to do more team building. We got to do more review, trying to fill in some of those gaps that they missed, that they didn't get because they were not in a classroom, not with a teacher, uh, frequently. You know, we got to deal with some kids that are traumatized. If we expect everything to just pick up, like none of this stuff happened, I'm sorry, it's not going to. And if we expect because our grandparents did things a certain way and our parents did things a certain way, we should do it exactly the same way. This is not the world of our grandparents or our parents. You know, this is the world of 2022 with everything that's happened in society. And People to me that are operating off of this, I'm going to act like nothing has changed. And just because it was good enough for my grandparents, it's good enough for me. That's just not, to me, it's not realistic. you know. And, and it's not even wise because if we can do better, if we can change, if we can adapt to our surroundings, why would be? Some, sometimes people act as if, any kind of change is some kind of betrayal mm. of family values like this partnership idea between men and women is a betrayal of family values is a betrayal of christianity the man has to be the head and the woman has to submit to everything he says and and that's not even in the bible you know i mean it talks about abraham listening to his wife i mean there's a time when god said listen to the woman you know what I mean? I mean, so it's like, where do you even get this stuff from? I don't even know where you get this stuff from. So what's going through your mind right now?
1: Um, you know, expectations, entitlement. I think that people have expectations and, and they feel entitled to attain that. And it's not always the case. Sometimes, you know, you fall short. I think it's like you said; it's it's all about adapting. If you're not making your goals, or if you feel like you're entitled to your goals, how are you going to better yourself to get to that point? Um, yeah, yeah, entitlement and entitlement and 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 um, expectations to me, they one and the same. You know, I think that you know, just going into this new school year, I just I want to be better. I, they expect me to be better and I want to be better. I just got to be able to adapt, do little things differently, read emails, get there on time, you know, um, be prepared. I think biggest, biggest thing is be prepared and always expect that something is going to go wrong. And how are you going to handle that in, in the fa- in the matter that it does go wrong? So, uh, expectations and, and, and entitlement to me, they, they're close. Mm. They're close.
0: Well, you know, the last thing that kind of came to my mind as we kind of close out, I just read something on Google, and I think it was Yahoo News or something, and they were talking about this, this term that they have called, uh, I think it was quiet quitting. And it's the idea that some people are not quitting their jobs. They are still at their jobs, but they have stopped doing all the extras. Mm. Um, and so It was talking about how when quarantine happened, you had a lot of people who were not at work, right? Some people were still coming into the job. Some people were having to take on a lot of extra unpaid work because people weren't there. They were sick for whatever reason, whatever. There was a labor shortage. And so there's kind of a feeling of burnout where, you know, like with teachers, we all of a sudden had to learn how to be software experts. (laughs) and, and, and zoom experts and every other kind of expert go to meeting experts and answer. I mean, there were times when I had 300 emails, you know, in, in less than a week. Like I've never, never in my life had I dealt with 300 emails at work in, in less than a week. I mean, it was like, what? Oh my gosh. You know? Oh my gosh. So, I mean, you have all of these different things that are happening and people are feeling burnout. And, and then when they ask for help or they ask for a day off and then they get attitude like, why should you get this? Because I'm doing all this extra. Can you give me a little break? You know, and, and, um, that some people are feeling disrespected, unappreciated, and they're saying, you know what? I, this is my job description. I'm doing Only that I'm not staying an extra hour. I'm not staying an extra 30 minutes. I'm not taking on, you know, this extra work that I'm not being paid for, you know, during my lunch hour or whatever, you know, I'm not doing it because they don't appreciate it. I don't get paid for it. And it's taking a toll on me. Right. And they, some of these people that are doing this are feeling, you know, the expectation was. From some managers and bosses, is whatever you're asked to do, that's part of your job description. Whatever you're asked to do, even if it's not part of your job description, you know, even if it's outside of working hours, you should be available. And even people working at home, sometimes there's the expectation that they should be available even after working hours. If an email gets sent, you know, at four in the morning, you should be seeing it as soon as you get up and responding to it, even though you're not at work yet, Mm. technically on the clock. So some people are saying, no, I'm not going to um, you know, give in to this pressure to be on call all the time when I'm not paid to be on call, to do all this extra when I'm not paid to do it. And I'm going to, in a sense, put work in a certain place in my life. It's This is my place for work. I work nine to five. I work eight to three. I work seven to four, whatever I work. And that's it. Mm-hmm. I'm doing my job, but I don't have to be superwoman or superman at my job and do come to the rescue every five minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you think about that idea? <coughs> uh,
1: you know, quiet. You said quiet burnout. Quiet quitting. Quiet is what quitting. It's called, oh, yeah. Know? I see. It. I, you know, I think that I see it all the time in work and. Like I told my man, I'm like, man, I'm not really one of those type of people that. I wouldn't say quiet quitting. I'm not one of those. So people do that and then they want to broadcast that they're not doing extra, that they're not going to do it right. And I think it just it all goes in the package. And so my thing is I try to avoid confrontation. I. I. I've been told that I was a confrontational person, and changing that—you know, not meeting people's expectation about me being confrontational—is something I've tried to change. So those subtleties, like you know, hey, I'm working from eight to five, and not a second after. I hear people say that a lot, and I'm just like, I, I don't necessarily. I, I think the reason is because I'm—I'm I'm not always kind of like you know a lot of people dot their eyes and cross their T's well sometimes I might forget to cross my T I might have been one of those people that didn't get the email and so we're running to this meeting and the expectation is that you read the email before you got to the meeting so when I get to the meeting you know people are in an uproar well this, da, 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 you said this and I'm just thinking I'm like what, what, are you, what are you talking about what's going on I read the email I'm like oh well it has nothing to do with me I was going to do that anyway I was going to be here anyway you know I remember we were talking one time and I forget the episode, but I was telling you that, you know, people, I see that, you know, the bell rings, and that's when I slow down. That is when I'm just at peace. My pace is a little shorter, and you see people just storming out. You know, sometimes I've I've I you know I'd already be dressing my athletic stuff, and so I'll just go out on the street and I'll just, you know, listen, we got these kids in these buses. Let them get out. You know, you can't be that much in a hurry that somebody else's kid is on the bus. They're getting ready to go home. They're already riding the bus anyway. Let the bus get out. And and you see the you see the teachers just zooming out of there like, man, how did you get in the line so fast? The, the bell rung at 410. It took me five minutes to get out here. Why are you in your car already in the line? And so that at four I'm gone you know that 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 idea that some some colleagues of mine have i i just i've never understood it mm. because now you're a lot mm. of the time to kind of relax mm. and, and so i i try to i try not to be that person that that ever says that that i'm 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 not doing any extra that i don't have to do mm. like even if that involves you know having a break up a fight here and there at work cuz it's going to happen some people say i'm not paid to do that and I think it comes with the territory, you know? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm never the one that's like, I'm not, I'm working from seven to three and at, at three o'clock, I'm gone. Cause that would mean that you have to be done a little earlier to get out and be gone at three on the dot. And it's just nah, for me, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take my time to leave. I'm, I'm, and I'm going to do whatever, whatever the job. Is uh calling for, which is why I guess I probably still have a job because when it comes to policies and procedures, sometimes I, I do skip a couple of policies and procedures. <laughs> so um
0: well, I think we had a really good discussion and in, in in my whole was energy, right? The the tagline is small changes, big results. You know, I I always want people to think for themselves. I always want people to do research, I always want people to If it's not working, then try something else. Mm. And some of the things in our society are not working and they're not working because we need to change. We need to shift. We need to adapt Um, to continue to feel that just because something is tradition or because I had a certain expectation or because I was raised to believe a certain thing that has to be the truth to me is, is a fallacy, you know science learns new things every day. Mm. We should be the same way. We should be learning new things every day. We should be growing all the time. We should be reading, exposing ourselves to new ideas. You know, um, I saw something so simple and this will just make a point. When I would make spaghetti and I would need to sprain it, I would pour the spaghetti from the pot into the strainer mm-hmm. in the sink. I just saw on TikTok, a person stick the strainer in the spaghetti pot, push it down on the spaghetti and pour it out like that. Mm. I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. You don't have to worry about any of the spaghetti falling out into the sink.
1: Right. Because
0: the (laughs) strainer is on top of the spaghetti. Right. That's my whole thing. Tradition, I never saw anybody do it that way growing up. Never. Not once. Ever, 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 ever. Tradition says you pour the spaghetti out of the pot into the strainer. In the sink. Let the, you know, rinse it out in the sink. This person poured it out from the pot with the strainer on top. It was a better way to do it. Mm -hmm. So I can say I'm going to do the better way. I'm the next time I make spaghetti, I'm going to try that way. Mm -hmm. Because it looks better to me and I don't have to do it the way I've always done it just because that's the way I've always done, you know? So I want to thank you guys for joining us to talk about expectations and entitlement and expectancy. And if you want to support the podcast, you can, you know, support it through PayPal, support it through cash app, you can go and review it on Spotify, on Apple and Google Podcasts. You can download books and other merchandise that I have, you know, put in your orders, share it, you know, and just
1: walk in Zenergy. May you walk in synergy. Have a great night, everybody. Zen a newly divorced
0: 43-year-old Southern woman, wanted a fresh start. She'd heard there were plenty of fish to choose from in the modern dating pond. What she discovered were plenty of guppies, exactly 101 of them. The result? A provocative, transparent, raw, and delightfully uncensored account of her experiences with the 101 men she encountered on her journey to find the one. In Plenty of Guppies, Zen spills all the tea on dating psychology, relationships, and self-discovery while giving readers a rare glimpse into the life of an award-winning artist and best-selling author. The book is an enlightening narrative that explores gender roles and identity outside of societal expectations. Zen has written a refreshingly mature modern-day epic of online dating, layering her personal story with erotic poetic verses and passionate prose that frame her journey toward rebuilding a life as a single woman and adjusting to both an empty nest and boomeranging children. Music mm-hmm. Music